This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare to dig into your word right now and just see yet another incident from the Gospel of of Luke where the mercy of of Jesus is displayed so beautifully. Lord, we thank you for your mercy in our lives. Lord, we we thank you that you have have brought us from from death to to life. Lord, we thank you for your continued mercies, which are, are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And Lord, we know that you're going to be faithful today to use your word in, in, in our lives as we open it together, as we dig into it together. Uh, Lord, would your spirit work mightily right now in our lives? Would you work in us? And then as we go forth from this place on mission, would you work through us? And it's the name, the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now, Tony Evans observes that, uh, that many people live their lives uh, like hamsters. And my, our chocolate lab, Jeter, is 80 pounds now, but when we first brought him home, uh, we joked around that he was about the size of a hamster. Not a hamster any, anymore. 80 pounds of, uh, of muscle. But Tony Evans says, you know, too many of us live our lives like like hamsters. You know, a hamster is in his cage and he, he looks out and he, he makes a bid for freedom. And so he gets on his wheel and he begins to, to run. And, and an hour later, he hasn't gone anywhere. He's, he's still very much in his cage. Too many of us are, are like that. You know, it could be that uh, 10 years ago, uh, you wanted something in your life to change, but a decade down the road, you, you feel like you're in about the same place. Or maybe a few months ago, you made some, some New Year's resolutions, maybe to uh, have a better marriage or your finances more in, in order or to, or to break a bad habit, but, but you still feel like you're, you're, you're stuck. You know, that, that hamster can't get out. <laughs> of the cage unless the owner reaches in and lifts him out. Somebody bigger than the hamster has to take over. And when we are trapped, we cannot set ourselves free. We have to be set free by Jesus. Let's talk about that. Open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, we're in the midst of a series called Tell Me the Story of Jesus. And we're looking at at passages, especially that are unique to the gospel of Luke, that are seen only in Luke. And here in chapter 13, in verses 10 through 17, we see a beautiful, dramatic incident that is only found in the gospel of Luke. And then in verses 18 through 21, Jesus tells two little twin parables that illustrate the meaning of the incident that has just happened and that tell us something about the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 13, and let's begin reading with verse 10. Follow along in your copy of God's word. 
As he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, Woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by by telling the crowd, There are six days when works should be done. Therefore, come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he had said these things, All his adversaries were humiliated, but the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things he was doing. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Again, he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. Now, we have seen in our study of Luke that one of the primary themes in Luke is freedom. Freedom that Jesus releases us, that he gives liberty I want us to turn back to chapter four. Turn in chapter four to turn chapter chapter four, and let's look at, at a key passage here toward the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, where, where Jesus is saying why he has been sent. Luke chapter four and verse eighteen. You remember Jesus said there, "The Spirit of the Lord is on me." Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed. So notice the language here in chapter 4 and verse 18. Jesus says that he has been sent to proclaim release, release, deliverance to the captives, to set free the oppressed. And here in chapter 13, we meet a woman who has been oppressed for 18 years. And then she meets Jesus. So what do we see here in this text? First of all, we see that she is bent over in bondage. Look at verses 10 and 11. As he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. So Jesus comes into the synagogue on this day and he sees this this pitiful scene. This this woman is just bent 
completely over, bent over low, and, and unable to straighten herself. And this has been going on for almost two decades. But there's more than, than meets the eye. Because not only is she bent low physically, but this, this woman is one of the lowly. We have seen throughout the Gospel of Luke, Christ's heart for the lowly, the people at the bottom of the social pecking order. And that's where she was. Because in an honor-shame culture, like the one that she lived in in the first century, her disability would not have been something that people would have rallied around. It would have been seen as something shameful. And so she was shunned by the people of her community. And so she's, she's one of the lowly, not only physically, but socially as well. And she's not only oppressed by people, but there's another kind of oppression going on here. The text makes it clear that there's a, there's a demonic bondage that is happening. We see that in verse 11, we see it again in verse 16. It says in verse 11 that she had been disabled by a spirit, which clearly is referring to a demonic spirit. Again, in verse 16, Jesus says, Satan has bound this woman for, for 18 years. And so there was a demonic activity that was going on as well. Now, we need to understand here the difference between demonic possession and demonic oppression. We meet people in the Gospels that are possessed by demons. And in cases like that, the demons will actually speak through their mouths. The demons have completely taken, taken over their, their, their bodies. Their, the demon-possessed people are doing all kinds of destructive things. This is not a case like that. She's not demon-possessed, but there's a demonic oppression that is happening. And that raises the issue, <clears throat> which I'm sometimes, sometimes asked as a pastor, and that is, can a Christian be demon-possessed? I do not believe that is possible because as believers, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. That is not a place where a, a demon can reside. And so I do not believe that Christians can be demon-possessed, but certainly, we can be oppressed by demonic power, which is why we have so many scriptures that, that warn us to be on, on guard, right? Jesus teaches us to pray, deliver, deliver us from evil, from the, or literally from the evil one. We see texts like 1 Peter 5, 8, right? Uh, be alert, be, be, be watchful. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Ephesians 6, 10 and following. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the schemes of the, the devil. For we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with demonic powers of darkness. There is spiritual warfare that is happening in the lives of believers, and, 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 and even though we cannot be possessed by demons, certainly the enemy can oppress us and mess with us 
in all kinds of ways. He messes with our minds. You know, he, he can plant uh, negative, discouraging thoughts in our minds. He can plant angry and bitter thoughts in our minds. He can plant uh, suspicious, paranoid thoughts in our minds. He can plant fear and worry in our minds. He can mess with our minds, and he can also mess with our bodies. And that's what we see here. In her physical disability, there was, there was a satanic oppression that was happening. Now, we have to be very careful not to leap to the conclusion, you know, that every time something happens to our body physically, that there's a demonic element to it. We don't want to just kind of jump to that. But it's undeniable when you look at Scripture that, that a lot of times the enemy can mess with our, our mental health and with our physical health. And that's absolutely the case here with this woman we need to also see kind of the big picture here. When we talk about the miracles of Jesus, when we talk about, um, you, you know, the ways that bodies go wrong and, and death and all of that, we need to see the big picture of what's happening theologically. In Genesis 1 and 2, the world did not include any of those things. God looked at the world that he had created and he said, it is good, right? The, the, God's original design did not include uh, uh, sin, it did not include disease, did not include disability, it did not include death. None of those things come into the picture until Genesis 3, when sin enters the, the world. And so we live in a Genesis 3 world. We live in a broken world, a world that's marred by, by sin. But here's what we need to understand. The world is not always going to be like that. Christ is coming again. There's going to be a new creation. There's going to be a new heaven and earth, and it will not include sin and disease, and disability, and death. All of that will be gone forever. So when you see the miracles of Jesus, they are like signs. In fact, the Gospel of John refers to them as signs. The miracles are signs that are pointing to new creation that, that Christ is going to, to bring about. I love what the theologian Jürgen Moltmann uh, says about this. Moltmann says, Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. In other words, the miracles are pointing to, to life as, as, as God originally designed it to be and as it will be once again when Christ comes and makes all things New. Gavin Ortland, in his wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly, says, We are so used to a fallen world that sickness, disease, pain, and death seem natural. In fact, they are the interruption. Now, we live in that period of interruption when there is sickness and disease and pain and death, right? We live in that period of interruption. 
But brothers and sisters, it will not always be so. It, Satan's days are numbered. And see, the, the miracles of Jesus are pointing to that. They are pointing to the day when disease and death are, and, and demons are going to be destroyed forever. That day is coming. He is stronger than darkness. So we see someone bent over in bondage. Second, we see someone released from bondage. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. Wow, there's some beautiful things that are happening here. First of all, it says that Jesus saw her. This, this is a person who was basically invisible in her society. I mean, she is one of the, low, the lowest of the low. She's socially invisible. Jesus saw her and had compassion for her. Right about a year ago at this time, I was in, in, South, in South Asia uh, visiting with some of, some of our workers, some of the workers that you support, that you put there with your tithes and offerings. And in the course of our meetings, I noticed a young man named Shaquille. And he had, a, he had a disability, but he served with such a gentle, quiet spirit. In between sessions and the meeting, meetings, I would see him, and, and he was there with, uh, you know, with food and something to drink and just graciously uh, serving everyone who was, was gathered there. And I, I, there was a moment when I, I, I took a picture of him bent over and serving because I could just really sense the, the sweetness of Christ in this young man, and, and then I found out his story. One day, one of, one of our workers, again, this is someone that you put there on the field, that you keep there on the field through your giving. One of our workers named Glenn was out running errands. And in this country, it, you look around and there's grinding poverty everywhere. I mean, it's just not, it's not unusual at all for people to come up and tap on your windows and, and beg. That's just, that's normal life in that city. But on this day, Glenn looked over and he saw this child that was completely naked and emaciated and that had obviously been burned and he, I said, I've got to stop. And so he stops and he, and he takes him into his vehicle. And it's Shaquille as a little boy. And what had happened was that, again, they're talking about an honor-shame culture. And, and children born with disabilities are often discarded. And so he had been abused. He had been starved. He had been burned and discarded by his father and put out on the street to die. And Glenn took him in. He took, he took him back. He, he slept on Glenn and Rhonda's sofa for the rest of the day. And through the grace of God, uh, there was a, a, couple, a couple there that they had led to, to Christ. 
Brother D and Sister Ma. And they took in Shaquille and they raised him as their own son. They have two biological children of their own. They took Shaquille in and, and raised him and he had grown to be the young man <laughs> that was serving in our meetings that day. On December 1st of this past year, the Lord just quietly took him home in his sleep. He just peacefully passed away in his sleep. But listen, Shaquille died in faith and he died bathed in the love of Christ. Because someone saw him. Someone had compassion for him. Do you see the lowly or shun the lowly? Jesus loved the lowly. And, and what else do we see here? He speaks. He speaks freedom to her. What does Jesus say? Woman, you are free of your disability. I mean, he just speaks freedom. It's like the, it's like the story of the centurion. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. The one who spoke this world into existence can speak freedom, can speak healing, and he does that here. You know, sometimes, and it's so cruel when people do this, but some people will say, you know, if you just had more faith, then you could be healed. Friends, we see many times in the Gospels where there's no indication of faith at all. Sometimes there is, but, but not always. And, and, and many of the, the miracles, Jesus just sees someone, has compassion for them, and heals them. And that's the case here. It's what New, New Testament scholar Daryl Bach calls a rule miracle. Jesus just, is just demonstrating the rule and the reign of God, his authority. He has the authority to speak life into existence and to speak healing. Speak freedom. He says, well, you are free of your disability. And what does he do? He, he, he apparently calls her up. Now again, you're talking about a culture where women in general were, were publicly shunned by men. And, and then this woman, on top of that, was shunned because of her disability. Jesus calls her up. He gives her this dignity as a human being that she's never had. He calls her up and in love lays his hands on her and she is instantly, instantly healed. And what, what happens then? What is the, the, the response? It says, instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. People were praising God, but not everybody. Not everybody. There's someone there who's in another kind of bondage. That's the third thing that we see here. Another kind of, of bondage. Look at verse 14. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, there are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. This guy is not rejoicing. He's angry. He's indignant about what has happened, and he, he addresses the crowd. 
but he's really addressing Jesus and questioning his authority to do such a thing on the Sabbath because he's equating the healing with work on the Sabbath. Well, it's very interesting because when the Ten Commandments are given in Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20, and it says that we're not to work on the Sabbath, it says nothing about healing on the Sabbath. It does not equate healing with work. This is a man-made rule that they have attached to Scripture, which is what legalism is. Legalism is attaching our own man-made rules to the Word of God. We do not have the right to do that. We don't have the right to add to the Bible, nor do we have the right to subtract anything from the Bible. Just, just stick with the Scripture. But see, legalism adds on to the Scripture. There's so many people whose spiritual lives have been damaged by legalism. Well, Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of this here. Look at verses 15 and 16. But the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman a daughter of Abraham for 18 years, shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Jesus states something that they all know perfectly well, and that is that if one of their animals on the Sabbath day needed to be untied so that it could go and get something to drink, they would do it and lead it to water, which they should. It would be cruel to do otherwise. But Jesus says, you're upset with me because this woman, a child of God, has been untied and freed from her bondage on the Sabbath day. Is this not what the Sabbath day should be all about? But see, in legalism, we get so preoccupied with our, our human-made rules that we can't see the forest for the trees and we can't see God's ultimate rule, which is what? Love. Love the Lord your God. What is the greatest commandment Jesus was asked? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Legalists don't think that way. They're in another kind of bondage. But we also see here another kind of kingdom. Another kind of kingdom. Look at verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like and what can I compare it to? Now, the word therefore here in verse 18 links the two little parables that Jesus is about to tell with the incident that has just happened. He is saying here that what you have just seen is indicative of something about the kingdom of God. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, or what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. A little mustard seed, it's nothing. And in fact, when you take it and you put it in the ground, it's invisible. 
just like this woman was invisible to most people. But God is about to do something. The, most, the, the biggest, most powerful, supernatural force in the universe is about to work in her life. And she is going to find true Sabbath rest in Jesus. Are you weary today? Jesus has come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can find shelter, shelter in him. And what does this little parable say about the church? Remember, Luke is written in the first century to tiny little communities of Christians. Tiny little communities of Christians gathering and and house churches, persecuted, powerless. What What is Jesus saying here to the church, right? He is saying that the kingdom of God is like, it starts out as something tiny or even invisible, right? But little becomes much when you put it in the master's hand, right? And so this tiny little persecuted group of people was going to, 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 to grow and become a force that was going to turn the Greco-Roman world upside down. And even now, you know, sometimes we in the West, in America and Western Europe, sometimes we can get uh, discouraged about what we see, all the secularism and all the things happening in our own culture. But friends, we, we have a, Jesus has given us a worldwide, we have a worldwide vision Right, and, and your giving is touching the world and what's happening in the world and so many parts of the world, right, is that the, the little mustard seed is becoming a tree and just people are coming from every tribe and tongue and finding shelter and rest and new life in Christ and you are a part of that. You're a part of that through your prayers, through your giving, through your going. And then Jesus says, he tells another little parable about the the kingdom in verses 20 and 21. He says, again, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leaven. Now, many times in scripture, the metaphor of, of leaven is negative, but here it's very, very positive. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, like yeast. You don't need but a little bit, right? for it to just pervade, pervade the, the, the bread. And, and again, the analogy here is that something, something little is becoming pervasive. And that's the way it is with the gospel, right? That's the way, it, he says, that's the way it is with the church, right? Something little and tiny is going to go on to to impact the world. That's the way it is in our lives. God takes just like little, little acts of obedience that maybe nobody else even sees and he does things with that that we can't even imagine. The other pastors and I were able to, to go over on Monday to a conference and one of our professors um, from Southeastern Seminary, George Robinson, who teaches evangelism and missions, at Southeastern uh, was, was talking to us on Monday. And 
You know, here's a guy, George served for like a decade in Southeast Asia with the International Mission Board, and then he served in one of our seminaries for 15 years, training missionaries and pastors to go out. His life's been very impactful for the Lord. But he said, you know what, I am here because when I was a student at the University of Georgia, I was waiting at a bus stop in Athens, Georgia, and one of my fellow students engaged me in conversation. And he said, that student embraced the awkward and, 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 talk, and engaged me in a conversation about Jesus. That's why I'm here. <laughs> it was the little simple act of obedience of a fellow student to just open his mouth and talk to him about Jesus. And the Spirit of God worked in his life. And then another, another brother in Christ came alongside and discipled him and said, you know what, we're going to hang out together. We're going to study the Bible together. We're gonna, I'm going to take you under my wing. right? And that, and that other person helped to get him, him grounded in the gospel. Two simple acts of obedience, right? That nobody would, things that seem so little, so little, but yet the Spirit of God takes them and just does beautiful things through them. Hey, listen, are you willing to embrace the awkward and talk to your friends about Jesus? Are you willing to embrace the mess of discipleship? Because when you disciple somebody, it is messy. You know why? Because we're a mess. Because <laughs> human lives are messy, right? Are you, are you willing to embrace the awkward and talk to people about Jesus? Are you willing to embrace the mess of discipleship? Take people under your wing and to help them to grow in Christ. You know what? Those simple little acts of obedience, right, become things that nobody even sees them at the time, but like they, they become things that are used beautifully and powerfully in the hands of Christ. And it's that way with so much in our lives, right? Just those little steps of faith, little steps of obedience, that the Spirit of God takes and uses and blesses in ways that you know, we could not even conceive or imagine. That's how the kingdom works. Let's pray together. You could be here today and you're not certain that you are in Christ. We talked about forces of darkness today. You know what? Jesus allowed all of the forces of darkness to converge on him on a cross. He took all of our sins upon himself. He allowed darkness to converge on him so that we can be free. He has conquered the grave itself. Death has been defeated. There's nothing happening in your life that a good resurrection can't solve. And we have a risen Savior. 
Would you turn to him and trust him today? In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. If you're turning to Jesus and trusting in him, we want to invite you to make that known. Jesus says to confess him publicly. Maybe you're here today as a believer. There's something in your life that just needs to break. There's a breakthrough that's, that's needed. Maybe you need to come pray at this altar or pray with a brother and sister in Christ. And so, Lord, we, we just thank you for your deep, deep love. We thank you for your power, your love, your mercy. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that you give in Christ. And so, Lord, we, we lift up this time to you. Lord, help us to respond to what, what your spirit has done in our lives today. Lord, if there are those here today that, that need to publicly say, I'm following Jesus. Maybe there are others here today that, that need to say, I, I publicly am saying I want to be a part of the church family or I need to be followed in obedience and be baptized as a believer. Lord, would you work in lives today? Powerful. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 